Welcome, I'm Cliff Hedges. This is Pastor Cliff's Notes. This is a podcast where we're studying the Bible. We're working our way through the book of Romans. Today is episode 572. Look at Romans chapter 16, verses 25 through 27. Let's read our passage. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the proclamation about Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept silent for long ages, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic scriptures, according to the command of the eternal God to advance the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles, to the only wise God through Jesus Christ, to him be the glory forever. Amen. This is the end of the book of Romans, Paul's letter to the church in Rome. Paul's in Corinth on his third missionary journey, and he's writing this letter to the church in Rome, to provide them a theology of the gospel. Also to provide a, something of introduction to himself, although most of them probably know about him, some know him personally, but he's giving this is something of a, a way for them to know him better, since he intends to visit Rome. He's going to accompany the collection back to Jerusalem, and then from there head to Rome, spend a little bit of time there, strengthen the church, and then move on to Spain. One of the things he hopes to do is, while in Rome, get them to support him as he goes on in his mission to Spain. This is the conclusion of Paul's letter. It's a doxology. He's completed all the theology, completed all the personal words, all the words to people there, words from people with him. And now it's just basically a a doxology of praise to the Lord. So let's look at it. Verse 25, now to him who is able to strengthen you. Well, who's him? He doesn't name him right there. You'd have to really, this is all one disjointed, incomplete sentence. But it's more poetic in nature, and it's it's pretty straightforward as far as what the meaning of it all is. To complete the hymn would have to drop down to the very end, the last phrase of verse 27. Now to him... To him be the glory forever. Amen. That's really the whole substance of this passage. Glory to God. Our proper response to God is to give him glory. Now to him who is able to strengthen you, well, it's obviously God. And Paul has made it clear that his goal in going to Rome is to strengthen the church. Here he's making it clear also it's not because of anything he can do, just as he boasts about Christ, not about his own abilities. Here he's making it clear that God's the one that's going to strengthen the church. It's not Paul. Now, God may use Paul in some way, but God's the one who will actually strengthen the church. So to him who's able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the proclamation about Jesus Christ. So what's going to strengthen the church in Rome? The gospel. He says, my gospel. And that's just the way he's speaking. That's the same gospel for everyone. It's not my gospel, your gospel. There is one gospel. And this is the gospel he's talking about. And that's the gospel that's going to strengthen the church in Rome. It says the gospel and the proclamation about Jesus Christ. Aren't they the same thing? Well, yes. And that's where Paul's using poetic language. So some things he says really repetitive, but he's saying it just to provide a sense of symmetry to the language, give it some flow, and make it sound good. So the gospel is going to strengthen the church, and the gospel is the proclamation about Jesus Christ. And that's according to the revelation 
of the mystery kept silent for long ages. And the gospel is that revelation, which has been a mystery. Now, when Paul uses the term mystery, a lot of times what he's really referring to is something which has been hidden, but has now been revealed. And that is the gospel. It's been hidden, but now revealed. So it's a mystery that's kept silent for long ages. There he's referring to throughout the history of Israel. The gospel has been hidden. It's been a mystery, but now it's revealed, as he says in verse 26. But now revealed and made known. Now again, what's the difference between revealed and made known? There is no difference. These are two different Greek words that are synonyms of one another, but Paul's using this poetic style of language. So this mystery is now revealed. This mystery is now made known, but it's made known through the prophetic scriptures. Now, there's a little bit of disagreement, but not much. Some people want to say, well, the prophetic scriptures, he's referring to now the opening of the New Testament. Most people know when Paul talks about the prophetic scriptures, he's talking about the Old Testament. I think that's pretty plain. That's what he's referring to. But you get a little quandary here. He's talking about the Old Testament. And this mystery of the gospel has been hidden in the Old Testament, but is now revealed through the Old Testament. How do we make sense of that? That the Old Testament hides the gospel, the Old Testament reveals the gospel. Well, as with a lot of things in the Bible, there's, there's some tension there. And that's where we just have to basically live with the tension and embrace the tension. A lot of people don't like tension. They want black or white, yes or no, up or down, right or left, and, and they don't like tension. But often there is tension in the Bible, and that's where we just have to embrace it, because we often get into error where we try and force something in one direction. So how is the gospel hidden in the, the Old Testament? Well, it's not obvious that it's not obvious that the Gentiles are in God's plan because it's all about Israel, Israel this, Israel that. It's all about Israel, the chosen people of God. But yet, there is language about the Gentiles. Go back to the promise to Abraham long before there was an Israel. The promise to Abraham was that through him all nations would be blessed, that his all Gentiles would be blessed. So there's promises for blessings to everyone. There's promises that everyone will eventually bow before God. But there's also promises that God will bless and keep this special relationship with Israel. So there's some tension there. The gospel itself is in the Old Testament, but it is somewhat hidden. Paul's not really giving any special teaching about that right here. What he's saying is, that's just the way it is. And because of that, he's praising God. So this mystery is now revealed, now made known through the prophetic scriptures according to the command of the eternal God to advance the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles. So his main point here is the sovereignty of God. God's the one in charge. God's the one doing this. God's the one who's doing the revealing and the making known. And God has chosen this particular time in this process of salvation history to reveal the gospel so that everyone can see the gospel, respond to the gospel. In this particular time, the, the, the gospel has been opened up to all the Gentiles.
Now verse 27, to the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, to him be the glory forever. Amen. So that's really the completion of the beginning. Now to him, to him be glory forever. To the only wise God, to him be the glory forever. Amen. So the only wise God through Jesus Christ, to him be the glory forever. Amen. It's just the closing doxology there. Praise be to God. The gospel is revealed by God at the proper time to all people. And our response, give glory to God. That's Paul's conclusion to his letter to the church in Rome. So look back over the the letter to the Roman church. There's some highlights in chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it's written, the righteous will live by faith. So Paul began with this idea of justification by faith. And it's available for Jews and Gentiles alike. In chapter 3, verses 21 to 22, he said, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, since there's no distinction. There he's talking about the righteousness is from God. And for the Jews, the Gentiles, everyone, it's the righteousness of God that counts. And we tap into that through faith in Jesus Christ. Still in chapter 3, verses 23 and 24, he said, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They're justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The universal nature of sin, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But justification by faith is available to all. Chapter 10. Verse 9, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness. One confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame. Because there's no distinction between Jew and Greek, because the same Lord of all richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Then he brought it to more of a practical outcome in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, perfect will of God. Then he gave the practical applications of how to be that living sacrifice in chapter 13, verses 8 to 10. Do not owe anyone anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and any other commandment are summed up by this commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of of the law. So Paul's given this theology of the gospel. Sin is the universal problem, and the only solution is justification by faith. And in justification, we are adopted as God's children, brought into a relationship with him, forgiven of sin, and now are promised eternal life. So Paul's been writing this letter in Corinth on his third missionary journey. 
it's probably the year 57 AD. Paul leaves Corinth and then tra travels up through Macedonia near Ephesus, then sails back to Jerusalem. Then at Jerusalem, he is uh, opposed by the Jewish leaders who are demanding his arrest. He is rescued from the mob by Roman authorities and then sent to Caesarea to be tried by the governor. The governor doesn't want to try him. He appeals to Caesar. So he's held in captivity in Caesarea by the Roman governor for two years, then has the journey to Rome, shipwrecked on the island of Malta, and he eventually makes it to Rome and then is under house arrest in Rome. So this is the last letter that Paul writes before his Roman imprisonment. So here it's 57 AD. He'll spend two years in jail in Caesarea, then a fairly long, drawn-out journey to Rome. But we really won't hear from Paul again until his Roman imprisonment, which is starting probably around the year 60. And during that imprisonment, he writes four letters, Philemon, Colossians, Ephesians, and Philippians. And that's what we'll look at next is look to Paul's letter to Philemon, probably the first letter he writes during his Roman imprisonment. So this concludes Romans, and we'll pick it up next time with Paul in Rome as he writes his letter to Philemon. Thanks for joining me. Join me again next time as we continue working through Paul's letters.